Kobe, creator and host of Always Shine Brightly. I named this podcast Always Shine Brightly because I believe that is what we are each here to do. And in times where we feel we're not shining bright, I feel it's still our purpose to work through and shift whatever is dimming our light. In this podcast, I'm speaking with guests who I see as bright lights in the world despite any struggles they may have gone through. The more of us who do this, the better the world becomes. Join us on this shared mission to make the world a brighter place. Welcome back to another episode of Always Shine Brightly. Today, I have my friend Leah Guerrero with us. Leah and I met just recently, but as soon as I met her, I just thought she was such a bright light and would be perfect for this podcast. I can't wait for her to share all the stories that she's lived in like such a short life already, which, how old are you, Leah? 30. Two. I, after 30, you kind of forget. You so I think counting. I'm 32. You think I'm 32. Or I might be 31. I was born in 88, so whatever that is. 30, Depends 32. on what part of year is your birthday. January. I'm 32. Okay, you're 32. I think. <laughs> I love this. I don't know. I love this. But by 32, she has already lived multiple chapters in her life, and I cannot wait for her to share those stories with you. So a background on how Leah and I met. We met through my mom, who they both do business together. My mom sells candles with her business partner. And Leah, which we'll get into in a second, is an an innkeeper, owner of The In-Between. And she came across my mom's candles and has been a customer of hers. And then after knowing each other for a little while, my mom invited her to come to one of my manifestation classes back in April. And her and I had the pleasure to meet. And that's where this this meeting on the podcast was born from, hearing some of the stories she shared during that class. I was just so excited to have her on the podcast to be able to share with all of you. So Leah, I know that today you're an innkeeper, but that has only been in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I would some of the stories I know, I don't know enough details of. I just know that you went to college in New York, at one point drove a school bus and a two-month journey to get there, mm-hmm. at one point lived in California, uh, one got married in Africa, almost moved to Australia. Did move to Australia. Did move to Australia. Yeah. And is now in Texas where you're originally from. You're yeah. originally from Dilly, yeah. which is South Texas. Yeah. Not too far from, I'm from South Texas as well. And, um, but now are in Concan in the hill country of Texas as an innkeeper. So I would love for you to fill in those gaps. Yeah. Like that is just, I just <laughs> love how interesting that is. Um, okay, where to begin? Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess I'll start with college because sure. that's kind of where things kind of progress from. So I went to, um, got my undergrad in Dallas at UTD. Okay. And then after I graduated, I, um, moved to New York mm-hmm. and I was there for a couple of years as an AmeriCorps Vista and I was oh. working, yeah. So like the Peace Corps, but instead of going abroad, you stay in the U S mm-hmm. and I was working for a nonprofit called Operation Exodus. It's an after-school program that works with kids in Washington Heights. And so I was there completely clueless, had no idea what I was doing, but I was like there to save the world. I learned a lot. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I had an incredible experience and I learned about me, a lot about myself, about what I wanted, and um, did that for a couple years and then went to grad school. So I um, applied to 
Columbia. I applied to a million schools. Um, SVA was the school that I ended up going with, and that's the School of Visual Arts okay. in New York. And I found a really cool program called Art Practice, and the focus wasn't on like just making art. It was about understanding why you make what you do and like really, really thinking of your art as a practice and not just about making things. Okay. And the director of the program, David Ross, um, was a former director of the Whitney Museum in the SFMOMA. And he was just like so in the, um, the info session that I went to, like it was just so like personal and he was, we're just sitting at a table together and he's talking versus like the info session I went to at Columbia where it was like, they were all up at the front of the room. Everyone else was in the, you know, the mm -hmm. seats and they're, you know, saying this. And I, it just was very informal. And I remember at one point, one of the professors at Columbia was like, and if you're under the age of, I forget what he said, like, I don't know, 20 some or 30 something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he said that he was like, you have no business being here. And oh, I wow. swear in that moment, like I felt like he was looking right at me. Aww. And first of all, I was of the age of whatever he was saying, but I guess I looked younger, but I just felt like this is not the place for me. When right. I left, I just was like, Ugh, I felt icky. <laughs> I felt like this is not going to work. Versus when I went to SVA and had the emphasis with David Ross, it was just like, I felt so good about myself. And so I knew like, this is my program. And by some crazy chance I got in um, and I did that for two and a half years. Um, and I was able to go back and forth between Texas and New York and during grad And what was your school. art focus in that program? Uh, that, I don't know. <laughs> I started, I, when I started grad school, I was making art from cupcakes. I don't oh, know if wow. we ever talked about this. No, I don't know about this. <laughs> I left this piece out. So as an undergrad, I started working with cupcakes as a medium. Okay. So I would bake thousands of cupcakes, and then I would make rooms out of cupcakes, like 10,000 cupcakes, thousands. Well, like, what do you um, mean make rooms out of cupcakes? So I would bake the cupcake, and then I would let them sit out and dry. Like my poor roommates oh my at the time, because I was baking them at home. And I would let them sit out to dry, and they would harden. And so then like, you know, like popcorn garland, I would string the cupcakes with fishing oh. line and hang them from the ceilings and make like curtains okay. out of cupcakes. Okay. So you could walk through them oh and God. it smelled well, where good. Where did this idea come from? Um, where, I don't remember the exact starting point. It really was just, I loved cupcakes at the time. Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with cupcakes. So it was kind of like the height of the cupcake craze. Mm -hmm. um, cupcakes were more of a thing than what they are now. Right. Um, they were super trendy, and I just was obsessed with them. But you didn't but see it as like opening a bakery and, and no, offering with that. Uh -uh. It's like you had a whole different was, concept yeah, around them. Making art out of them. And it, it started off because I really started to like question the cupcake. Like, mm -hmm. why am I obsessed with cupcakes? What is it about the cupcake? And I kind of began to unpack the cupcake as a metaphor for like myself at the okay. moment and like being a woman. So how do you describe a cupcake? It's sweet. Aww. It's uh, pretty cute, all these mm -hmm. things at that time in my life, I wanted to be, I wanted to be cute. I wanted to be pretty. I wanted to be sweet. They're petite. They're mm -hmm. little, like right. it's not a whole cake. They're petite. I wanted to be petite. Um, and so then at that point, the cupcake kind of began, a, became a stand in for me to talk about beauty and body image and just what it was to be a woman. And, right. um, so that was kind of the whole cupcake journey. So you did, did that, things. like, you gave talks around it? Or what do you mean, like, to stuff? I did shows. So okay. I would do gallery shows. Like, I would string the cupcakes and make the rooms out of them. I would also pour um, rainbow-colored cupcake batter on the floor, mm -hmm. and I would make paintings on the floor oh out God, of cupcake batter. Wow. And then I would throw cupcakes all over them. 
um, I did a piece where I had a whole bunch of like before and after pictures, you know, like the diet, like before and after. Yes, yes. And I would hang those on a wall. And then it's so dramatic now when I think about it. But <laughs> then I decorated, I was young and angsty, um, but I decorated cupcakes with like broken shards of a mirror. Oh my god. And goodness. then I would give it to all the women and they could throw, oh, and I had <laughs> balloons with cupcake batter in them, oh. like taped on top of the picture, like at the carnival, mm -hmm. you know, like you throw yes. the darts of the balloons. So it was like that. So these women could throw the cupcake with the glass at the balloon, pop the balloon, and then the batter would just like pour down these women. Oh wow! And and that was just kind of my way of being like, you can't tell me what I should look like. <laughs> um, and and so anyway, that was that piece. And then oh, you would like this one. I did a piece. So I was working with. I'm so all over the place. No, you're I haven't fine. talked about the cupcake stuff in a long time because I stopped doing it. But I did a piece when I was in New York. Um, when I was working with the the teenagers and the after school program, right. and something that was going on at that time, is these these guys in gangs, these older guys, like cool guys, mm -hmm. would start um, dating these younger girls, and okay. they weren't really interested in dating them, but they would prey on these really vulnerable young girls, mm -hmm. and you know they were cool, they were older, and the girls would just be all in love with them, and then what they would do is they would end up taking them across the bridge over into New Jersey and like selling them into human trafficking. Oh, and this was happening like on the blocks that some of my girls lived in. Oh, and I was like, how, like, how, like how, what can I do about right. this? And everything that I thought about, it just pointed to like, they're preying on girls who don't know who they are. They're preying mm -hmm. on girls who are going to look at these boys and think they're cool and think that they need them mm -hmm. to, to feel good about themselves. Right. So if, my girls know who they are and know what they're about, they're going to be less vulnerable right. because they have something to stand for and they understand themselves. So I came up with this piece where I, it was at my apartment actually, I invited a bunch of my friends that were my age, like successful business women. Um, I just touched the microphone, sorry. You're right. <laughs> um, and you know, just all different kinds of women. And I invited them to my apartment and then I invited all of my girls to come. Right. And uh, we baked cupcakes together, all of us. And then I had, um, I gave everybody a little piece of paper and I asked everybody to write something on that paper that you were insecure about or afraid of, or just like mm -hmm. an insecurity that you have and then fold it up and stick it in the cupcake, yeah. like a fortune cookie. Uh -huh. And then I had them all decorate the outside of the cupcake with the way that they show themselves to the world. Oh, wow. So like, okay. are you bright and colorful? Are you like dark and moody? Or like, how do you present yourself to the world? And then um, I opened it up to talk about, which nobody had to, but, right. and I always started off with myself. Cause I thought if I'm asking anyone else to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. I need to be vulnerable and share what I'm currently worried about. And most of the time, all of the girls ended up sharing. They wow. were eager to share. And what happened in that moment is you had like grown women saying like, I'm afraid I'm never going to be pretty enough. And then this 14 year old little girl is like, me too, Aww, you know? Yes. And so it was kind of, it was one of those like me too moments before right, me right, too. And, right. We were um, getting that for, conversation yeah. going early on. And so for us to say like, it's not just you, you know, we all yeah. have these same insecurities, even if they're a little different, like most of the things we're afraid of, other people are afraid of too. Exactly. So, um, so that was kind of the cupcake era of my yeah. life. And, when and I was, well, how did the girls like 
um, did you see a change in them? Did you, like, what happened? Or it was kind of hard, like, you know, yeah. you, it's more like planting a seed. You don't exactly. always get to see a exactly. bloom, but you did your part in the planting. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever saw any, like, direct change, but um, definitely planting seeds. And that's how I see so many things. Like, I think at that stage of my life, I thought, like, I can come in and change things and make a difference. And now after years of realizing right. like people don't change overnight. No. You don't undo, you know, 18 years of life overnight. Um, right. But it's all about planting seeds. So. And I, I agree wholeheartedly. And it's like, yeah. it would feel amazing to be able to see like, oh yes, a change was yeah. made. But yeah. really it, it's not about us. Yeah. We, we have to let go of that desire for mm -hmm. that gratification mm -hmm. as well. And just yeah. trust and trust yeah. that things are working through us. Yeah. Trust that we are allowing this ripple yeah. effect to occur. And we've mm -hmm. done our part. It's like our responsibility is in showing up with the mm -hmm. guidance that came to us or the inspiration no. that came to us. And you did that. You yep. showed up. You set up the arrangement at the apartment to to instill that lesson in mm -hmm. some way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that was Cupcake Era. And then when I started grad school, I was like, I am not the cupcake artist. And I don't ever want to make another cupcake again. Like, I'm done with cupcakes. <laughs> that chapter of my life is over. And so then I was like lost for a little bit. Yeah. Like the first um, semester of grad school, I was just like, I don't even know. Like, you know, I remember having a studio visit with Jara Birnbaum, who's like a pioneer okay. in the art world. Like she's someone I had like studied, like, yeah. and you know, she just is this incredible, incredible woman. And I had a studio visit with her. And I remember sitting there with her and her being like, so why do you make art? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and she was like, well, what are you trying to do? I don't know, Here's but what is it about? I don't know. Like that was yeah. how the entire studio visit, and that's how I genuinely felt was mm -hmm. just like I don't know anymore. Right. Um, and so yeah, so it, it took some time to kind of figure that out. Um, but around that time in grad school is when I met my best friend Una. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Unami Mulale, she's the only um, pediatric critical care doctor from Botswana, from the wow. whole country. And I met her and I was still kind of trying to like figure things out. I knew I wanted to do something like in the world that wasn't just like making art and hanging it on a wall. Mm -hmm. I wanted something to engage with people. And um, when I was hanging out with her one day, she was telling me about her dream to build the first children's hospital in Botswana. Okay. When she told me that, my heart was just like pounding in my yeah. chest. Like I knew I'm supposed to commit to this like I'm supposed to help her somehow but um I have no idea how like I've never mm -hmm. been to Botswana I'm not a doctor I'm an artist and I remember telling her I was like I like I have to be a part of this mm -hmm. and she being like Una was <laughs> like no <laughs> no uh we don't need you wow Africa doesn't need you mm -hmm. and she was like until you go to the place and you meet the people and you touch the dirt and you breathe the air, you cannot help people that you don't know. And I think she thought that was going to be like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> and I was like, no, you're right. That's true. And so I was like, so when are you going home? Because, you know, I, I have to go with you. And yeah. I knew what I was feeling in that moment, like with my 
heart pounding out of my chest for me, right. like that was the Holy Spirit. Like yeah. every decision I've ever made in my life, it comes from that feeling, it, that like yeah. inner knowing of this is what I'm it supposed to do. It just lights you up. I mean, mm-hmm. just, yeah, I, I yeah. agree. And so she couldn't feel that. She yeah. didn't know. Yeah. And she was just like another white girl that wants to go to Africa. <laughs> and so, um, so it started to get closer to, was it October? I don't remember when we went. And uh, I hadn't heard from it. I messaged. I was like, Una, like, I'm going with you. Do I need to buy my plane ticket? <laughs> I think at that point she realized I was serious. Yeah. So, uh, so I went with her. We actually went to um, Uganda first. Okay. And then we went to Botswana. And then we went to South Africa. And that first trip, it was just, like, magical. Like, it wow. was just, like art and medicine and like we were just like it was just dreaming like all dreaming of like all the possibilities of like art and medicine coming together to treat the entire person and you know kind of this like holistic approach um versus art therapy being like this little Mm add-on like we were like no they're both equally important um so at that point my art became all about um Barona, which is the organization she and I started. Okay. And it was about like bringing art and medicine together to treat the whole person mm-hmm. with the big lofty dream of building the first children's hospital in Botswana. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my art went at that point. And okay. it was just about collaborating with this doctor. Mm-hmm. So I wrote my thesis in two parts. Part one was about uh, my collaboration with her. Okay. So it was about Um, what it was like for me as an artist to work with her as Mm -hmm. a doctor, but then also for me um, as, you know, like white, middle class Mm -hmm. privilege, like what it was like to work with an African Mm -hmm. black woman in America and kind of like that intersectionality of like, we're so different, but we're so the same. Yes. And, And we have so many differences, but we also have so many things that are the same. Um, and so that was kind of like the first part of, um, my thesis and my work. The second part was about this idea that I got about artists that disappear into the world and artists that no longer call what they do art, but they're just doing it and they're just living it. Cause I realized I felt like for so long art in a lot of ways is propaganda. Like Mm -hmm. I have the social issue that I care about, so I'm going to make art about it and mm-hmm. then try to convince everyone else to get mm-hmm. on board with me. Well, that's just propaganda. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, and so I was just like, I don't want to make things that point to a social issue. Like, I want to be in there, right. whatever that thing is, even if it's not a social issue. Like, if right. I am an artist and I open up a coffee shop, mm-hmm. the way that I run that coffee shop is going to be informed by my training as an artist. because. I love that every training that we get, it's just a set of lenses through which we view the world. So if I'm an artist and I decide to open up an inn, the way that I run that inn (laughs) is going to be different. Um, But I don't have to call it art. Right. And so that's what you mean by disappear into the world. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of, um, yeah, the evolution of my work through grad school. Um, Yeah. I don't but know there's more. Oh, sure. <laughs> I know there's more that happened with Botswana. Like your yeah. first trip, was it a couple months? How long was it? The first trip was maybe six weeks long. Okay. And you were yeah. going like to villages or like uh, yeah. your friend was taking, you know, obviously she knew yeah. had connections. And that's how you were meeting with people being yeah. on the ground, understanding what the situation yeah. was. Yeah. And then 
I know you had to go back another time because I know you got married mm -hmm. there. Is yeah. that years later? Is that coming soon soon into the situation? That was maybe a year and a half later. Okay. The first trip was, or maybe it was two years later. The first trip was at the, I think the beginning of grad school when okay. I just started. The second trip was at the end after mm -hmm. I had graduated. Um, like right after I graduated, like weeks after. Um, but yeah, the first trip, it was just, yeah, going, experiencing it. And when we went to Uganda, we actually went to, do you know Bob Goff? He mm -hmm. wrote Love Does. Mm -hmm. I love him. I love him. <laughs> I'm a fan girl for Bob. Yes. Um, so Una had done a bike tour through Venture Expeditions, and it was all, um, all the money that they raised went to Love Does, to okay. uh, Restore Academy and, you know, Bob's nonprofit and his schools in Uganda. And the tour, the bike tour actually ended at his house. So Una met him oh. at his house. Yeah. Like he, wait, here or where? In, um, I want to say the cabin mm -hmm. up, or was it San Diego? I don't remember oh, where okay. it was. It's okay. It was either California or the lake house thing that he has. Okay. So it ended there and she met him. Around that time I was at, he had his first Love Does conference mm -hmm. in Vancouver, not Vancouver, somewhere in Washington. Mm -hmm. And I was there at that. Okay. Um, and so anyway, she told him like, we're going to Uganda because she was supposed to be going to this medical mission thing that somebody had invited her to go to. And Bob was like, you should go to restore. You should, you know, he's yeah. very much a seven on the uh -huh. Enneagram. Like, just do it. Just yeah. go. You should go. Yes. Which is what you like, are. Okay. Like, yeah. let's go. Uh -huh. Um, so we actually did go to the school, his school in Uganda oh. and Una was doing, um, checkups with all the kids okay. and like healthcare stuff where I was doing art with a bunch of kids okay. and it was so magical. But when I look back at it, like Una was in a room with kids doing checkups and like realizing some kids had some like really serious yeah. stuff going on and like there was nothing she could do about it. Right. Meanwhile, I'm in the other room like fun yeah. and painting and like, <laughs> um, and, but it was still the first time that we had ever been in a space really doing art and medicine together. Um, and so that's what we did in, uh, in Uganda. Um, and then we went to Botswana. We threw a birthday party for her father. He was turning 60 something, Aww. never had a birthday party <gasps> in his life. Oh my goodness. And so I did all the decorations. Um, he invited the entire village, all of the surrounding Aww. villages, everybody showed up. They killed a goat. They killed a cow. <laughs> like it was like the party of the right. year. Um, and it, yeah, it was just magical. And then we went to South Africa just to go like rest and right, relax. Right. And we stayed at a bed and breakfast and it was just magical. Um, the second trip, I went by myself oh. to start with. Okay. And I was like, you know, if I'm going to be doing work here, like I need to have an understanding of Botswana that's my own, mm -hmm. that's not with Una. I'm not meeting her friends. I'm not staying with her family. Like I'm going to navigate this country on my own and see Botswana through my eyes. Because the yeah. first trip was very much through her eyes. Um, and so I went by myself. And um, we were going to be doing a gratitude gala for doctors and nurses. We wanted to just throw this big party. Wait, who's just me? Is this me and Una? So oh, she oh, they okay. flew over later, okay. but I got there before everybody else. Gotcha. Yeah, and so um, we, you know, everybody in the healthcare that we talked to in the healthcare field, they were all just tired. Everybody was mm -hmm. so tired. You know, you don't become a doctor to watch people die. No. Like that's just not why you do it, do that. But there's so much just under-resourced, you know, underpaid, yeah. overworked. 
and everybody was just tired and so we just wanted to throw a party to just say thank you like That's you're beautiful. awesome mm -hmm. the work that you're doing is great like we just want to honor you right so we did this black tie affair and, yeah it was super fun super fancy mm -hmm. and i was there kind of getting all of that set up so that when Una and my other friends arrived, things were kind of ready to go. Because they okay. arrived just days before the event. So okay. I kind of did all the, the legwork. How work. early did you go? Were you there like weeks, a month? or A couple months. I think oh, I was wow. there for three okay. months. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so during that time, um, I had begun to date Jake. And we had actually met uh, maybe five or six months before that time. So... We had Which done this. I saw you post kind of like a throwback story yeah. with your the yeah. picture from that night. Yeah. Which I thought was so cool yeah. that someone captured yeah. a dance that you had with yeah. the first night you met Jake. Uh, yeah. And this was uh, this was in San Antonio. Yeah. 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 So we met at Cuda Brown Saloon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I so I Una was in town. And a couple of other friends from Botswana were in town. My friends from Chicago were in town in San Antonio because we had done a youth conference. Oh. I'm so all over the place. No, so you're we totally had done fine. a youth conference in Dili uh -huh. where we had brought in kids, some of my kids that I worked with from New York, really? some of my friends from Botswana, and uh, some from Chicago, and just all these beautiful people that we knew. We brought them to Dili and did this youth conference called Voices, Our Stories Matter. Oh. And it was just all about kids sharing their story with each other and hearing perspectives of other people. Because in Dili, you don't get a lot of exposure to the right. world. Right. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful event. Oh. But I wanted to show my friends from other states and countries um, <laughs> what... Uh, how we dance in yeah, Texas, like how we two fun. steps. I took him out to Cuda Brown and Jake asked me to dance and I totally friend zoned at him because <laughs> I was just like, first of all, like I'm going to Botswana right. for several months and then from Botswana, I'm going to Australia for a year. Oh. And secondly, I'm not that kind of girl. I don't meet guys in a bar, like <laughs> not who I am. It's not the vision um, I have for my, yeah, yeah. my husband. <laughs> so um, I like totally was just like not even into him. And he, we would go dancing all the time, though. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to dance. I loved to dance. And just two-step. That's the only dance I do. <laughs> and, um, and I felt really comfortable with him. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, like, I don't know. I just enjoyed being around him. And uh, one day, everything about him changed. So Una was leaving. It all goes back to Una. <laughs> um, she was leaving Texas. And my mom and I had given her a pair of cowgirl boots. Aww. And she put them on. She was like, I feel so cute. I want to go dance. <laughs> she never wants to dance. Una oh, does not like to dance. That's funny. And so um, I was like, okay, we're going. Yeah. Well, it was already super late. And we were in Dilly. And so I call him. He was already like, now I found out. He was already at home like in bed. Aww. And he had been working all day. <laughs> and he was like, okay, yeah, I'll meet you all there. Oh, so yeah. uh, we went. And there was a moment when I was watching him dance with her and I just felt like wow like this is what it's going to be like one day to watch Una like dance because you know I'd never the whole time we were friends until recently she didn't, she didn't have a boyfriend mm -hmm. and so it was like whoa like this is what it's going to be like watching Una dance with her husband one day not realizing like that was my <laughs> husband and after that everything about the way I felt for him changed because Una was important to me, mm -hmm. and so she was important to him, too. Aww. And he, like, was so patient and taught her how to dance. And, like, That's it's not sweet. easy to teach Una anything because she's, like, the fiercest, uh -huh. like, 
<laughs> she's just incredible. <laughs> and he was just like so patient and just, you know, took such good care of her. And that was kind of when my feelings towards him changed, yeah, was watching him dance with my best friend. Well, he was showing you uh, who he is. Yeah, yeah. his character, yep. you know. And so uh, the day before I left for Botswana, he asked me to be his girlfriend. And I said yes. So our real relationship was built via Skype. While okay. I was in Botswana, we Skyped every day. And one day he told me, he was like, I've made up my mind. I'm quitting my job and I'm moving with you to Australia. I just got chills. And I was like, what? I'm going to Australia for Bible college. Mm. They're not going to let me have a boyfriend. <laughs> so, like, we should get married. And, oh, you said that? Yeah. In this call. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then he was like, I was thinking the same <gasps> thing, but I didn't want to say it because I thought you would think I was crazy. I was like, no, like we should do this. So <laughs> then the conversation became like, well, do we wait and get married in Texas or should we get married in Botswana? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, Botswana? Yeah. Like, of course, <laughs> right? Botswana. My family was already all coming because okay. they were um, they were in, I wanted them to come to Botswana to see the work that I was doing. Right. I wanted them to experience it. So they were all already coming. And all of my closest friends were already there because we were all putting on this event together. Yeah. What I didn't know is that Una was surprising me and already had a ticket for Jake. <gasps> So, like, Aww. he was already coming. I just didn't know. Oh, my so goodness. So, once we decided to get married in Botswana, he was like, by the way, like, I'm already coming. <laughs> <laughs> I got, like, um, goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I never was a girl who cared anything about having a wedding. I was like, eh, I don't even think I'll ever get married. And I said, but if I do, I want it to be a wedding that just plans itself, where mm-hmm. I literally do nothing but show up. Just yeah. say yes yeah. and show up. And so, and I also know myself. Like, if I have too much of a hand in it like I would be a bridezilla so I was like I just need (laughs) something that's just like you know um destination wedding where I do nothing but just feel pretty and uh yeah so my family was all there Jake was already coming they brought over my great-grandmother's dress I got married in her dress um we had a wedding photographer from South Africa that was shooting the event that we did right so I asked her like would you mind shooting my wedding two days later right she was like of course are you kidding me oh man so we had a wedding photographer that was like already there um Cabo Lebru who's a folk singer in Botswana like a very famous folk singer who writes these beautiful love songs was performing at the event that we oh did. My so I asked Kava, like, yeah. would you perform yeah. at our wedding? He was like, of course, that's what I do. Aww. So he performed at our yeah. wedding. Um, my friend Cara Venter, who is an events planning extraordinaire, was there helping us plan the event that we had done two days before. And Cara was like, yeah, like, do you mind if I like just, you know, do some flowers and like <laughs> some arrangements yeah. and like some little stuff? I was like, Cara, do whatever you want. Yeah. I don't care. And so she did, you know, with flowers from the grocery store, made me a bouquet, like had cute little menus printed with like the, what we were going to be eating, like just all these cute little details that I didn't have to do anything for. She did it all. Um, What am I missing? Yeah. I mean, that was it. That was a wedding and it just planned itself completely. You're like, I remember you shared this during the manifestation class and you're like a manifestation queen in that. Like you set your standard of like, I really don't want to be involved. I want it to be easy and yeah. I'm open for it to happen. Yeah. And boom, 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 yeah. boom. It did happen. Absolutely. <laughs> Completely. And it's because I told you the other day, like the other day I was just thinking, man, I would love to be on a podcast. I just think that would be super fun. And then like days later I get that email from you. I'm like, 
manifestation yes, destiny. Yes. You just like <laughs> speak it out and it yes. comes to you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and that's so true. And it's, and I don't know how, I don't know why, maybe just because I'm open, but that's kind of right. been um, my my whole life. Like, and I firmly believe it's not just me. I'm not anything special. I think everybody can do that. I think that. you just don't have any resistance yeah. to it, where yeah. so many people have resistance. They yeah. have the, like, the fear of why it's not possible yeah. or the limit of why it's not yeah. possible. Yeah. So that I'm really curious about that. Yeah. You grew up in Dilly, which yeah. is like, hearing i mean dilly is like a small town like i grew up in somerset which is also a small town Mm -hmm. small town texas and when do these dreams of new york like all i mean maybe africa evolved Mm -hmm. with time but when you left dilly you went to dallas but then Mm -hmm. you went to new york but it doesn't seem like there was a cap or limit on like where you would go where did you have any concerns of like am i gonna fit in there i'm like from the small Mm -hmm. town i'm going to the big city like you just were like no that's for me i'm going yeah completely um i don't know if i've ever felt that way like am i gonna like if i'm there i'm gonna fit in right figure it out like i'm there you know um even if i don't fit in like i fit in with me yeah no i love Um, that but it's kind of funny because when you say fitting in my whole life or yeah really my whole life no matter where i was people would always be like, oh, Leah, you need to be in New York. Like, you'd fit in there. You need to be in New York. Or you need to be in California. Well, I moved to New York, and it was awesome, and Mm -hmm. I loved it, but I did not fit in in New York. Really? Like, I'm a Texas girl, you know? But you have a very artistic mind. You have, like, a very, like, views that are, like, multi mm-hmm. I'm trying to say like a big word I can't even say but mm-hmm. like you synthesize like from different yeah. fields like you have multiple lenses that you bring together and mm-hmm. that's why I think art is a great expression for yeah. you or why you're drawn to it so I feel like that would fit in very yeah. well in New York yeah and aspects yeah like that of course I love the diversity in New York my friends were from all over like I loved all that about it but like, I want to live in the middle of nowhere. Like, that's where mm-hmm. the, you know, like, I fit in. Right. But I didn't belong there. Okay. Like, know? in your heart, you knew, yeah, like. Yeah, like, I wanted, I didn't want to be in the city. I didn't want to be in the, the chaos of things. I also found that in New York, you know, in Texas, you wave at people, you smile at people. Mm-hmm. That's just what you do. We're a friendly place. Um, but. When I moved to New York, like my first week there, I would make eye contact with people and these men would follow me home. Like I had a man try to kiss me on the train one time and nobody did anything and he was in my face and I was traumatized. And you can get kind of trapped in those situations if it's crowded. There was nothing I could do. Mm -hmm. There was nothing I could do but sit there. And even then he wouldn't get off the train and he stood in the doors, Mm. like, and the doors kept trying to shut. They were like, ding, 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 ding. And he just stood there until I looked up. And once I looked, I finally looked up at him because I knew if I look up, he'll go away. He made a disgusting, (gasps) lewd gesture to me. And I just felt like he never physically touched me, but I felt so violated, Violated. you know? So I learned very quickly, head down, don't make eye contact because I don't want to invite any unwanted attention. Mm -hmm. And, And then I also think like, I just started getting mean, you know, mm-hmm. and I think it was just the congestion of the city and just having to fight to survive New York. If you're yeah. not rich, it's a hard place to yeah. live. And I just started getting mean, I guess. And so um, I came back to Texas and my mom would be like, Leah, you can't act that way. Like, you can't <laughs> act that way here. Like you yeah. are being unfriendly. I'm like, I'm not being unfriendly. I'm just not being friendly. <laughs> she was like, you can't be that way here. These people know you. Everyone in the grocery store in Dilly knows who you yeah. are. Like, this is a small town. We all know each other. You can't treat people that way. <laughs> and so I had to kind of, like, recondition yeah. myself. So then Jake and I moved to California. 
I didn't fit there either. What like, was the draw to California? Jake was working. Okay. So yeah, and um, he was able, he was an electrician, so he was just able to make more over okay. there. And so I went there with him. And I think, you know, growing up with everybody saying, you need to live here, you need to live there, East Coast, West Coast, you'll mm-hmm. fit in there. Like, you can't really fit in anywhere unless you fit in everywhere, you yeah, know? I get and that. so I think moving to both of those places made me realize, like, I don't fit in there, but I also don't fit in, in Texas either. Which means, like, I can fit in wherever I am. Right. Like, this, like, idea of not fitting in or not belonging, like, I don't know. Like, I found some freedom in that of, right. like, I can belong wherever I am and wherever I'm planted because I'm never going to truly 100% belong anywhere. No, I um, love that. It's, you belong yeah. to yourself. Yeah. And I think, yeah. like, so many people don't make that connection of mm-hmm. belonging to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they are in the state of trying to belong because they're trying to yeah. find something that it's like there's something missing in yeah. them and they're trying to fill it in some way. And yeah. I think the healthiest thing is to understand that you belong to yourself. And mm-hmm. when you feel safe in that, yeah. like you said, you show up as you are, yeah. you show up as yourself, you show up. Um, I mean, it's not that you're a chameleon in each situation though you could be, but mm-hmm. you could, you just can fit. You mm-hmm. can like go into a situ- in and out of situations yeah. with grace because you're held within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think this is just a small example of that, but like a lot of the things that I wear, people will be like, you know, I I love that, but I could never pull that off. Mm -hmm. And I've never understood that concept because I'm like, if it's on me, I'm pulling it off. Like if I wear it, like I'm pulling (laughs) it off. So like if you wore it, Mm -hmm. you could pull it off. And I think that's that kind of sense of like belonging and not belonging. Like if I'm here, I'm going to belong because it's where I choose to be. Right. But at the same time, like, I also don't belong here at all yeah. because I don't belong anywhere. Right. I just I belong wherever I am. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. And there's so much to be learned from that, mm-hmm. you know. For some, I hope people take that, in, take that in and consider that in themselves and be like, oh, my gosh, if I belong to myself, then all the things that I'm trying to feel as if I belong, those don't matter, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have, we, we work our way back. We go to Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we went to Australia and I was going to Bible college and I got there and it was, it just didn't work out. Okay. It wasn't a good fit. And I think part of it was just like, everybody was 18 and uh-huh. like, yeah. And I was like married and newlywed. Right. And I just was like, I don't think this is a good fit. Now, I absolutely believe going to Australia was part of my story. I think... Australia was actually the catalyst for me and Jake. Like, okay. you know, for him to say, I'm quitting my job and going with you to Australia and me to say, let's get married. Who knows what would have happened right. if Australia wasn't in the picture. So I think it's, I, you know, it wasn't a mistake. It no. wasn't like a, even though we were only there for three months, like it is truly part of my story and it was beautiful. But once I got there, I was like, I don't need to like finish this school because I think I thought like I have to go through this school and finish it to open up the next thing in my life and at some point I just realized like I don't I don't I can drop out of this and that's okay and I was always raised to not be a quitter so that was like that internal struggle of like I can't quit this I can't quit if I quit I'm a quitter and I'm not a quitter and at you know after lots of prayer and introspection I was like no like I need to quit this because mm-hmm. quitting this says like I'm good enough. Yeah, as I, am. I would agree. And and so you know everything else in my life it had been about sticking it through, mm-hmm. but this was a chapter of my life that was like no, this is actually a time to quit this, and it was hard. It was oh, not yeah. easy. 
Um, but yeah, so I, once I dropped out of Bible college, Jake and I were just kind of like, this is a super expensive city. It doesn't make sense to where, stay. Where were you? Sydney. Oh, okay. It's like the most expensive city in the world. <laughs> we were, um, sharing an apartment with, um, another couple uh-huh. and we're newlyweds, yes. you know, and like yeah. we're sharing apart. and they were the coolest though. He oh. was from, uh, Tasmania. Okay. She was from Mexico city. Oh, wow. They met in college and they were just so cute and so sweet. Um, but you know, we just were newlyweds. We didn't want to have to share an apartment yeah, with somebody. Exactly. And, and so we came back to Texas and then, um, I started teaching art in Dilly, which like the art teacher position opened up <laughs> All right, like, as you showed magically. Up. Really? Yeah. No, for yeah. Leah, I yeah. believe it a hundred percent. And which I was super passionate about at the time. Cause I was like, these are my people. Uh-huh. Like this was my community. And right. We it's even... like Una going back to her yeah, community. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I had so many parallels there about that. Like who better to teach art to my community than me. Right. And I, you know, that was a lot of my thesis too, about like, you know, the people that can best serve the community are the people from the community uh-huh. who understand the challenges that people face. And so, um, I was super excited. Um, it was super hard because nobody cared about art Aww. and it was just like an elective that like kids had yeah. to take. Um, but I know there were some shining yes. moments, like there were some beautiful moments that happened, but yeah, so I was teaching art Jake moved to California. And so we were doing long distance oh. for a while, which was difficult. And then I joined him in California. Mm -hmm. And that was a massive struggle because I could not find work. And I applied to every single job. I applied to this job. I applied to that. I mean, I applied to so many jobs and I could not find, like, I couldn't even get an interview. Like nobody was even like answering anything. So I was going through the whole, like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like nobody wants to hire me. And, um, so I eventually just was tired of not working. So I applied to Target. Okay. And got an interview to Target. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, that was it. And so I went through this whole, like, I have a master's degree and I'm working at Target. All the self-loathing. But it was really real. And um, I know I always talk about Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram type three. And at our core is this fear that we're not successful. Like, mm, we have to be that's successful. That's so driven. And so if I... I thought you were a seven or that... No, I'm a three. Mm-mm. Oh, I messed up on that. Yeah, okay. no, I'm a three. Um, I Yeah, and so it's, yeah, that, that inner dialogue of like, you're not, you know, you're not successful. And so here I am, master's degree, working at Target, mm-hmm. can't find any other job, like getting minimum wage. And that's just like the biggest fear in the world for right. a three. Like right. that is okay. like the, like that is a dagger into the heart. And so I cried lots of tears and felt so sorry for myself. And, um, thankfully I think it was that time that I was learning about the Enneagram. Oh, I was going to say, yeah. I went, did you have the awareness of that no. at the time? But then I did. <laughs> and it was like, Oh my gosh this is why I'm going through this. Like my biggest fear, my core fear is being challenged Uh in the biggest possible way so that I can see clearly, like Uh I can point to this and say like, that's not true. I am successful. Uh And um, yeah, once I went through all that and realized that I was a type three and realized that I was just being triggered by, you know, my insecurities, Uh I was able to like genuinely fall in love with that job. Like I loved it. It was so much fun. What did you love so much about it? Um, I had never had a job that I could just leave. (laughs) So I'd always been a teacher, nonprofit, working with young people. And I would always carry the burden of my work with me. So that was really cool to just Mm -hmm. be able to kind of like recharge and just 
show up to work and then go home and like not think about work. Right. That was awesome. And I was getting to help people. So uh-huh. I was in the makeup and beauty department. Okay. And my favorite thing was helping people with skincare. Okay. And like, you know, like let's not just find makeup to cover it up, but let's get to the root of your issue. What's going on? And um, I loved that. Like I was helping people with no strings attached. Like I didn't oh. have to carry their burden, but I was still helping them in right. some way. And so that was really cool. I loved my coworkers. Mm-hmm. Like they were all just like really hardworking um, migrant families, mm-hmm. like with multiple kids and just busting their butts. And, you know, we had so much fun together and that part of that, like realizing what was going on in me was coming to that realization of like, I love and respect these people. Mm-hmm. Do I think that I'm better than right. them because I have a master's degree. So for me to be working here, it means I'm a failure. Like, are they failures? Right. Like I had to go through that, like intra, you know, spectrum yeah. process of, of really getting out to what I was feeling. But having that happen was the best possible thing that could happen to me because now here we are in Concan running this business. Half of my life is doing laundry. <laughs> like every day, it's yeah. washing wow. 22 yeah. beds, washing 22 towels, like scrubbing the toilets, yeah. mopping the floors. And I think had I not gone through all of that of like, get over yourself, right. I wouldn't have been open ah, to it. Okay. And so for me to actually like, walk into the doors that I was supposed to walk through, mm-hmm. I had to go through that phase in my life of not being able to find to find work, having to take a job that I thought was beneath me, right. even though it wasn't, but I perceived it to yeah, be beneath me so that I could now walk into owning my own business and having to do all of these things that I, you know, I don't enjoy doing the laundry. Right. I don't enjoy making the beds. Um, I don't have to scrub the toilets anymore. Oh, Jake does that. Part. Oh, that's good. I mop. He does the toilets, so that works out. Um, I think I didn't do them well enough because I'm really <laughs> haphazard. So he's more thorough than I am. Isn't that like yeah. when we're kids? It's like I was. I, it's my brother and myself, and I was the thorough cleaner, yeah. and he was the not so thorough cleaner. But then that meant that I needed to do things like if we were going to have people over, mm-hmm. it was like. I had to do the yep. work. And I'm like, that just doesn't make yeah. sense for a, you know, like yep. reward system. <laughs> yep. That's exactly it. So, um, that's how it works with us. But yeah, so I, th- I just think had I not gone through that seemingly like really hard time, um, I wouldn't have been open to what I'm doing now. So. No, I, I just like absolutely love your story and I want to like go into a little bit more of it as we go. But what I remember you sharing in the class was, that you wanted as a little girl to be an innkeeper, like mm-hmm. something you knew early mm-hmm. on. But with time, you thought that you were obviously like you had a huge service heart mm-hmm. and you didn't see this connection and service with being an innkeeper mm-hmm. early on, which is partly what drove you to be attracted to probably going to AmeriCorps and doing mm-hmm. things in Africa and wanting to go to Bible college and just mm-hmm. seeing like the such a giving heart mm-hmm. where it kind of has that more traditional service look. Yeah. Now, would you mind sharing like what you've come to learn as an innkeeper in its relation to service? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, as a kid, I always thought like that was a selfish dream, like being an innkeeper, having a place. And I, I didn't even have the language for it back mm-hmm. then. I never thought innkeeper, but I just wanted a beautiful place that I could share with others. And I thought that was so selfish. Mm-hmm. Like that's such a selfish thing. Like, oh, you have a nice house or you have a garden mm-hmm. and so that, you know, people who can afford it can go and, um, you know, experience it. But now actually like in the business, running the business and being an innkeeper, um, I see all the time, like 
how I'm getting to help people create memories with their family. Like these beautiful moments that they had the other day. I in the guest book, um, I was reading this little girl wrote she wrote it, like not her mom, but Aww. she wrote in the guest book about going fishing with her daddy and making s'mores. Mm. I'm like, those are the memories you have forever. Yeah. Like fishing with her dad. Who knows how often they're able to get away to do stuff? Who knows if her dad works all the time? I don't know their story. Right. But I know for a few days she stayed with us and went fishing with her daddy and made a s'more and the marshmallow caught on fire and like <laughs> that's something she'll remember forever. And so yeah, so you know, I'm seeing now like how much I do actually get to help people and not in a way of like, oh, I'm helping people. Right. Because it right. used to be that. Yeah. When I was, you know, working in New York, it was all about, look at me, guys. I'm Leah. Look how good of a person I am. Like, I'm Leah the do-gooder, mm-hmm. and I'm helping these kids in New York. Like, I wasn't <laughs> helping them. Yeah. Like, you know, like, um, and same thing, even, you know, even my work with Una. Like, I was always in this battle with the ego of, like, wanting to be perceived as, like, doing good. Mm-hmm. Do good in the world. Do big things. And... And now I'm, you know, I see like, I, I, I am helping people, yeah. but it's in a very different way. I, and, um, yeah, we have, yeah, I remember you shared a story cause this, this was when we did the class back in April and you shared a story about a, a woman who had gone by herself for like two mm-hmm. days and yeah. then she did all this like self-reflection and healing and had left like, mm-hmm. so like, I don't remember exactly, like I'm sure she had some epiphanies and she yeah. left recharged. Like, mm-hmm. I just think they're. It's so cool how you're having all these stories. Yeah. And then you just did an Instagram story where you were saying you're in the hospitality business where you're supposed to be the one caring mm. for them. And you had received yeah. gifts from your yeah. from your people, from some of the guests yeah. that brought gifts. But I think, like, I loved hearing that that's how your story unfolded. And it mm. was like, a, I, really, I just did a podcast yesterday, not on mine, but on another one that I'm doing which was on the myth of selfishness. And Mm so, which is probably what sparked this conversation when we were doing the class, is that the myth of selfishness is that we think, like we we think that living out our heart's desires in Mm -hmm. a joy, like in the most joyful way, if it doesn't look tangibly connected to service, is selfish. Mm -hmm. But yet, I think the highest thing we can do is to do what's in our heart. And mm-hmm. when we express that joy, like yeah. it doesn't, I don't care if it's surfing or, you know, whatever it is, and it may mm-hmm. not look connected in any particular way to mm-hmm. how it helps someone else. Showing up in joy helps the world because mm-hmm. you are showing up brighter. You're showing up in, in a great high yeah. energy and that affects the people you directly interact with. And it affects like who they then turn around yeah. and interact with. It helps like with the collective mm-hmm. psyche, the collective conscious by yeah. adding more love, joy, that mm-hmm. kind of thing to the world. Yeah. And so I just think like, like I'm real passionate about like yeah. redefining the concept of selfishness around, mm-hmm. around like being just like letting the energy, the highest energy flow through us in the way that it wants to express. Mm-hmm. And you knew from, a time, from the time that you were very small that you wanted to do it. it maybe mm-hmm. you didn't, like you said, you didn't have all the full vision of what yeah. that was. But you knew, like, that was an expression. Like, mm-hmm. you, it sounds like you probably like to host things. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, you are a host. You're a constant mm-hmm. host in, in the current iteration of your life. Yeah. And you're doing it through intention. You're very intentional. You're mm-hmm. intentional with your art. You're intentional with how you make decisions and what your yeah. life is. And so I'm, I know you're very intentional with the love that you put into your business mm-hmm. and wanting it to go to people. Mm-hmm. And going back to the Bob Goff thing, as I you had mentioned also, that 
you keep one of his books in each of the mm -hmm. rooms, right? Yeah. And yeah. so you're always replacing it because you encourage people to take them? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was like so beautiful. Yeah. Like I used to see like where you are right now and how you're expressing is like maybe one of the purest ways that you have mm -hmm. been expressing because you've mm -hmm. healed so many, like the lessons you've learned have shed away some mm -hmm. like fearful component of yourself yeah. that was distorting that pure energy mm -hmm. from coming through. And of course yeah. we always have lessons as we go. But from like going, like when you realized you had to turn away from different things, mm -hmm. like I love the lessons that you've been learning along the way. I love that it's opened up to where you are now mm -hmm. and that you're like just in this total overflow state of overflowing this like more pure, higher yeah. energy, more light, yeah. love, putting that into the world. And so I just want to honor you for that, honor you for like all the decisions you've made mm -hmm. to lead you to like each path that you've gone to, mm -hmm. gone through. And, and I wanted to also jump back to like the lesson you learned in Australia, which is like, you know, you were just because like, you probably felt intuitively like, I'm supposed to go there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you've listened to your intuition to guide you along the way in all of your decisions. And so it probably was a little bit like of a shock to be mm -hmm. like, whoa, this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. I would say just like for anyone out there, like who might find themselves in a similar situation is to give, your give yourself room to change your mind. Mm -hmm. Give yourself room to course correct. Mm -hmm. Give yourself room to, um, to be like, nope, I thought it was this way, but it's actually this way. And not to like be so hard on ourselves, which you learned that lesson mm -hmm. to not judge yourself for not following through with one particular thing. It's like you took the pressure off yeah. by allowing yourself to make a new decision, mm -hmm. but it took a while before you could take that pressure yeah. off because there was such a, like a, there was a fear bound imprint. Yeah. There was a fearful imprint on like, oh my God, I'm not following through. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, you probably like, oh, you told all these people you were going, mm -hmm. everyone knows you just moved here, yeah. you're doing this thing for one year. Yeah. Like we put all this, additional pressure. I wanted to call mm -hmm. it artificial pressure. I don't know if that's the right word, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's only there because we believe yeah. we're like, we're putting it there. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And so I just think, and then also like the lessons that you learned when you were working in target, like mm. how beautiful is that, that you're a type three and not the one big thing. Mm -hmm. Like the, we've taught, we've referenced a little bit about the Enneagram. We haven't gone too much into it, but just in general, my outlook on the spiritual journey, and you can speak to it more specifically on the Enneagram, is that we're always supposed to heal. We're, our goal is to heal our feel fearful patterns so mm -hmm. that we come from a more whole place. Mm -hmm. Like I believe we are whole and complete as our core, but we believe perceptions about ourselves mm -hmm. or about the world that say otherwise. And so the journey is in healing those perceptions so that we can come from that more that safer place. Mm -hmm. It's a safe place. It's a loving place. It's an mm -hmm. overflow place. And for your, for being an Enneagram three saying that you had always been so driven in this one way, there was a fearful drive to it. Mm -hmm. And you never hit the wall of that fearful drive until you ended up in a situation where you're working in a place that you didn't think was like mm -hmm. what that next move mm -hmm. should have been. Yeah. And for you to heal that and for you to face that and for you to be willing to go through that, I honor you for that. And I'm just like, wow, keep going. Like, keep opening up to all the lessons. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, whenever I was making the decision to um, to quit the Bible college in Australia and I told kind of like the teacher or whatever over me and I told him and he was kind of like, okay, well, before you can quit, you need to go talk to this other professor who she was like a high up and she was like a very like just ballsy. Like I respected her a lot. Like she was a cool She's woman. fierce. Fierce. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I had to go talk to her and I was like, oh. 
And, you know, she was like, and I told, I was like, I'm supposed to quit. Like, I know I've prayed about this. Mm -hmm. Like, I know like God is like opening the door for me to walk out. And she was like, Leah, you're a very smart girl. I can't do an Australian accent. She's like, you're a very smart girl. I think she was British, which is like even more scary. She's like, you're a very smart girl. And you know that if you pull out the God card and say, God told me Mm. I'm supposed to leave, I can't argue with that. Mm -hmm. I knew she was trying, like, she was trying to convince me to like back out. And I looked at her straight in the eye and I said, I, every decision in my life that I have made, moving, coming to Australia, getting married, going to New York, going to Africa, every big decision I've ever made is because of that feeling inside of me, which I call the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. intuition, God, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that has, is what always has driven me. Right. And if I question that now, Mm. I have to question everything. Yeah. So I know everything within me that it's time for me to leave here. And I'm not going to question that because I'm not about to question my marriage and question my entire life. Like I've been guided by my inner light, my entire life. And she was like, okay, do what you have to do. (laughs) And I was like, I'm not about to like, you know, have a crisis Um, of faith. But I get get where she was coming from because with a lot of students, you know, they'd be like, well, God told me I could go. And really, but like for me, like that intuition and that inner note, like every decision I've made has been from there. And so I'm not. I'm not questioning it. I love that. So what I'd be curious about, because I'm someone who did not live by intuition until Mm -hmm. I was older. Mm -hmm. So what was like, how did that develop? Was it just something like, as I mean, as some like where your mom was, your mom, your parents always like, listen to that inner voice. Mm -hmm. Or was it in the church? Like, what do you think it was that Mm -hmm. developed it so early in your life? Or maybe you don't know a time when it didn't exist. I don't know. You know, I guess maybe just growing up in church and Mm -hmm. being super in tune and, you know, I, my um, great-great-grandmother was a pastor, a female pastor, oh, like wow. back in the 20s. Oh, cool. And uh, moved my great-grandmother and all the kids, they were living in Los Angeles, California in the 1920s. Oh, wow. Moved out to Millet, Texas to Where start a church. Is that like just tiny? Just like, yeah, just past Dilly. Okay. Um, tiny. And, you know, moved out there to start a church. And so I feel like I have this like ancestral Mm -hmm. guidance of just like this woman who like knew, I mean, she was so in tune with herself and with God and like, and I just feel like this connection to her. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if maybe that has something to do with it. And just growing up knowing that I was related to this phenomenal woman and that guided me or just being in, I don't know, but as for as long as I can remember, even as a little girl, like I've always just had this inner knowing and so I don't really know how that developed maybe possibly some of it could be with the way my mom raised me um she raised me to be super fiercely independent okay and you know she would never even like with boys that I would date she would never tell me what she thought okay and it was she wanted me to figure out things for myself okay and you know I would ask her what do you think about this what should I do this should I do that and she never told me because uh, she wanted me to figure out things for myself. So maybe cool. that, like, just... Probably the combination yeah, of yeah. all of it. Do you remember, like, decisions that you were making at, like, a young age mm-hmm. that you felt like as a decision like versus just, like, going with whatever everyone mm-hmm. else was going with or whatever the outside script was, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think back, like, to young... Cause the most, you know, the most recent things are the ones that I right. thought about. I was just thinking, thinking then, like you were yeah. probably building examples early yeah. on, because I'm yeah. thinking like 
Were you probably one of the few from your graduating class mm -hmm. that's gone off, like moved yeah, far away, yeah. done different things like that? Yeah. And that wasn't for you at that point, by then making the decision off of your intuition mm -hmm. at 18 was probably yeah. very familiar and yeah. very comfortable. Yeah. So you probably weren't even thinking like, this is weird, yeah. this is different. Yeah. Like those thoughts didn't enter yeah. your head. Yeah. So that's I, what I think is so powerful. I just thought of one. So I was supposed to go to um, Texas State. Okay. And I um, already had my roommate, like we'd been talking back and forth. And then in like June, like after I graduated, <laughs> I was like, no. This is wrong. I'm supposed to go to UTD. This isn't right. I'm supposed yeah. to go to Dallas. And I had nothing to base it <laughs> off of. It was just like, this, is not, this isn't right. And I don't even remember why. Partially, I think, was I had a full scholarship to UTD, but I had chosen to go to Texas State instead. But it was just, I don't, like my inner yeah. self was like, uh-uh, not San Marcos. You're going to Dallas. Yeah. And so I called the school and asked them, like, is my scholarship still there? They're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> so I, at the very last minute, like changed my whole plans. And instead of Texas State, I went to UTD. So that was kind of an early-ish example. Yeah. And so, yeah, for for me to have been so okay with that, and there was no, it was just like, no, like this it is, just knew, makes sense. clicked in. Yeah. So I had to have even earlier than that really developed um, that inner inner knowing and to just trust myself and trust my judgment yeah I forgot about that yeah oh I love yeah. that and I just think like any way that we can encourage other people to find mm -hmm. their own inner yeah. voice is so helpful because yeah. I think that we live in a world that has a big fearful imprint on it mm -hmm. no matter how much love we're talking mm -hmm. about there's still a fearful imprint yeah. of like you know do this yeah. to be safe like I actually followed the, the plan of safety because I was a part of that fearful imprint mm -hmm. I was like oh go you need to go to a good school it needed mm -hmm. to be like I wasn't even thinking out of state it's like go to a state school yeah. um get a good degree and then go get a good job so mm -hmm. I was like okay I went to A&M got an accounting degree got started working at a big five firm in Houston and then it was like by the time I started it was like the big whoa what did I just do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. it was because I was following a script, an yeah. outside script that equaled fulfillment through a concept of safety. Mm -hmm. It was a total construct that was made outside of myself yeah. of like, this is safe, this is fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, there was, I, I do jokingly refer to myself as saying like, I feel like I was like kind of like a KGB sleeper agent who just didn't wake up till later. <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. get activated till later. Yeah. Um, but that was like the first time I was like hitting a wall. Like mm -hmm. ever, before that, my life was just like, going through a stream, do, 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 yeah. do, just flowing along. I wasn't questioning big things. I was just, mm -hmm. decisions were fairly easy. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the first time I hit a wall and was like, this feels horrible. This is totally yeah. off. And then like having to like find um, like training wheels, like I had to start from training mm -hmm. wheels, you know, to figure out like, how mm -hmm. do I find my way through this? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I just think that any, I'm always like curious about people who have just known from a mm -hmm. young age and you can see it and how they're living their lives today yeah. because they're typically like you, you're going against the grain mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and you feel very safe in doing mm -hmm. that because you're so trusting. Yeah. And that's what it comes from is like having, it's a combination of, of feeling safe and following your gut. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of having seen so many examples of how it's worked mm -hmm. in your favor. It's trust, it's surrender. Yeah. It's also a confidence in it as well. So mm -hmm. it's a lot of interesting qualities that sometimes feel passive but are active at the same mm -hmm. time. Yeah. So I just, um, I love the way you've made decisions in your life. I love that you've been open to the lessons and open mm -hmm. to just like 
keep following your heart and you have a heart of service. And so I just think that's beautiful. <laughs> and I guess we can start to wrap it up. But yeah. first, I want people to know where they can find you. First of all, tell them a little bit about the inn. Like, yeah. let's say someone doesn't know what Concan or the Hill Country is and yeah. what, what this whole situation is. Um, so we have the in-between, and it's I-N-N, -N, like mm -hmm. an in, the in-between, <laughs> um, because we are located, direct, like our physical location is in between River Road and Garner State Park in Concan. Okay. So Concan, Texas is this beautiful, rural, gorgeous part of the Texas Hill Country that generations of Texans have grown up going out there to float the river. Right. And it's just this beautiful river, um, hills, and, you know, I grew up going out there, Jake grew up going out there, and that's ultimately why we wanted to move there is we both just had beautiful memories of going to Garner or going to Concan with our family. Um, so yeah, so we have an inn right in between river road, which is kind of like the popular tourist mm -hmm. destination and Garner state park, which is the most popular state, state park, park in Texas. Texas. <laughs> and we're four miles away. Wow. Um, and yeah, so we have this and we have tiny home glamping which is what is so we call cool. it. So fun. And, uh, we have two cottages. We have three tiny homes. They each have their own personality. Um, they're, you know, all super decorated and, um, yeah, that's it. What you've been, end. you've had a lot of fun, like expressing yourself through the decorating. I did remember mm -hmm. one post where you were like, yeah. I've let myself off the hook. I'm not decorating like Joanna Gaines. Yeah. I'm doing it differently. It's yeah. like, no, you're, you're your own artist. Yeah. You have your own expression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a quote in Jen Hatmaker's book. I can't, I'm going to butcher it, but she said something about like, her style is going to make Joanna Gaines cry all the tears and <laughs> Magnolia. I don't remember. Yeah. But I was like, that resonated with me because my style is all over the place. It's very eclectic. No matter what I try to do, if I try to stick to a theme or color scheme mm -hmm. or color, like I just can't do it. I've right. never been capable of it. I'm not capable of it. Like m my style is everywhere. And right. I think it's so influenced by the people I know and the places I've gone mm -hmm. and like how can I ever stick to one thing when there's so many pieces of me made up from all of right. these other people and so but when I'm on like Instagram or I'm looking at other Airbnbs or I'm looking at other places and theirs are so clean right. so minimalistic and then I start to think like oh well maybe our place should look like that and then <laughs> no. I question and that was my like reckoning moment of like no <laughs> <laughs> like my style is my style right. and it is what it is. And it's going to work for some people mm -hmm. and it's not going to work for other people. Exactly. And if it doesn't work for them, they're not our guests. Exactly. But the guests that are our guests are going to love it. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. There, I was wrapping up, but there were like two things that we hadn't talked about. One was the school bus. First, it's oh, kind of like it's the, bus. Quick, the origin story and how you're using yeah. it now, which I think the origin story is really yeah. fun and exciting. Yeah, so the bus, it started off as the Barona bus, and that was my master's thesis project. Mm -hmm. And it was, um, so for my thesis project, we had to do some kind of show at the end of the, you know, the wrap up. And I didn't want to just do a gallery show in New York where a bunch of art people would come and it was just like a room full of my peers. Like I wanted to go where people were, any people, every people, just living their life. Um, and I wanted to bring art to the world instead of just expecting people to come to me. Nice. So I bought a bus and uh, took out all the seats. And by bus, and she means like a school, an, like a school bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 72 seater school bus. And um, 
I took out all the seats and I didn't really totally have a plan. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew I was going to go places and people could create art. But like I didn't really have a clear vision of like it was going to look like this. Right. You know, I wanted it to be very free and open. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew I wanted to kind of create like an equalizing space. I didn't want to go to like a poor neighborhood because mm. like, and I even had a professor tell me like, you need to be taking this to more like underprivileged areas. I was like, no, like this is about all people. Like, I don't want to like just be like, oh, hey, poor people. Like, <laughs> let me bring the best to you because you need this. Right. Like, I just wanted to go wherever I had access and for it to be very organic and not contrived and not be like this like social justice bus where I like handpick people that need it. Like, yeah, it wasn't about that. And so, um, yeah, so I um, got, well, I was supposed to have people come with me, and then everybody bailed, and oh. then I had nobody coming with me. Because this was a multi-month trip yeah. back to New yeah. York, not just the, yeah. like, drive no. through the night, it get there. It was all over the place, because I, I went, we went all over, the, we didn't even go straight to New York. Right. We, like, zigzagged, we went up, we went down, um, and so at the last minute, Una's friend Donald Melosi was able to come with me, and he is an actor, and he's a playwright, he's actually, like a phenomenal, incredible human being. He's one of the most famous actors and playwrights from Botswana. Really? And he was just this, like, That's guy cool. who just, like, lived with me on a school bus. <laughs> um, but he has written, so his whole mission is that he tells the stories that are not told. So growing up mm. in Botswana, you learn British history because they were colonized by the oh. British. You're not learning the history of your people. Wow. And so he started writing stories about people from Botswana and other Africans too. He wrote about a musician in Uganda, like all these different people. Um, and he writes these plays and then he performs them. And he's yeah. very respected because the work that he does is so important because yeah. he wants to tell his people their story. Yep. And so he came with me on the bus and it was just super cool to travel with him because we would go to schools and I would talk about the bus and kind of we used it, we called it the Brona bus because we wanted to use it as a way to talk about Botswana and uh -huh. Una's dream of building the first children's hospital. And so having Donald there with me to be like, oh, by the way, guys, you're looking at the most important person in Botswana, you know? Like, yeah. And it was so cool to see kids go from just like looking at him as just this like accessory to like seeing him in his fullness uh -huh. and just what an incredible human being he is and how incredibly important he is. And so... Um, yeah, so we would go to farmer's markets, schools, libraries, museums, galleries, and people could come in the bus and they could leave their mark behind. Okay. And I wanted, it was very important to me to create an equalizing space that no matter who you were, where you were from, how old you were, how rich you were, whatever your categories are, like you were able to leave your mark behind. And um, it was so cool because people would come in the bus and they'd be like, there's such an energy in this bus Aww. or there's such, you know, I'm like, you can feel it. Yeah. Like I want you to feel, that's exactly yep. what I want you to feel. Feel the connectedness and of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's absolutely what it was. And, and so, yeah, so the bus is completely full of like other people's artwork and most people wrote things, you know, cause mm -hmm. they're not so comfortable drawing. Right. They'd be like, well, I'm not an artist. I can't draw. I'm like, whatever, everybody's an artist, but do what you want. <laughs> and they would write things, but like, it's just so much encouragement and positivity and just, um, just very heartfelt, oh. very heartfelt things, which was super cool. Um, yeah, so that's the bus. And then you kept the it bus. It was kept the bus sitting in a field because I, I can't get rid of anything. I'm a hoarder. And it was sitting in a field. <laughs> no and, Marie Kondo for you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it was sitting in a field for three years. 
and uh, Jake and I decided to convert it into a mangonada bus. So okay. now we drive it around Concan with some mangonadas, which are like a sorbet or Italian ice, mm -hmm. but with chamoy, which is a sour syrup and chili powder. Uh -huh. So it's super yummy. And we drive it around Concan. And so like the bus has this new life. Mm -hmm. And it's been like a challenge because I have to let go some because now it's like, you know, when I drove the bus across the country as an art project, it was about Botswana and like mm -hmm. making a difference. And so, and people had context. So uh -huh. there was just like this, like respect and care where now, like sometimes people come in, they're super drunk because they've oh, been on the no. river all day, you oh, know? Yeah. And so like, and we let people write on it and, um, it's just very different. Now there's a lot more of like, so-and-so was here, which is fine. Oh, okay. Like they're leaving their mark behind. Mm -hmm. Um, there's only one thing I've noticed that was like inappropriate and I was like, mm, mm. crossing that out. <laughs> um, but you know, for the most part, it's just, it's a different chapter now. Mm -hmm. And so, but like that part of me is like, uh, I want to hold But people are drawn to it still. Yeah. Like, and I people mean, still it, like yeah. it. Like people think it's super cool and they're excited to write their name and they love it, but it's just different mm -hmm. than what it, what it was before because Every stop we made, everybody who came on the bus was primed before they came in. Because, like, if we went to a school, Donald and I would give a little talk to right. the kids, and then they would come on the bus. Mm -hmm. So, like, they were coming in thinking about making a difference, thinking about ch chasing their dreams. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, one of the things we did was we had asked kids uh, what their dream was or, like, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And they would write it on tape, and they could stick it in the bus. And that's still there. And I saw one the other day that just like uh, wrecked me. And it was like a child who said, I just want to live with my mom. <gasps> like, and you know, that child would be, I don't know how old they are now. That was like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder like, are they living with their mom? Like, where are they now? Like what's going on in yeah. their life? And, um, but you know, it just, I felt like when I was driving the bus, I called it a container for engagement. Mm -hmm. Like this was during my two bus tours. And I always said, like, I feel like all these people that I'm meeting, like, I carry them with me. Aww. And I'm, like, carrying them in this bus. And I'm carrying their hopes and their dreams and their yeah. wishes and, like, carrying it across the country to share with other people. And um, it's just, yeah. That I was love a that. Good experience. And I, I love, like, I'm sure with you, you could still, like, Con, like kind of like intentionally hold those intentions for it mm. still too yeah you know like yeah. you know the energy lives in that space yeah. you've already created the container Absolutely. the people have been there and like it's mm -hmm. having some impact even if the person is drunk coming yeah. on maybe yeah. it's like yeah i don't know maybe there's an openness to them they wouldn't yeah. have had and it's seeping yeah, through exactly. who knows <laughs> exactly but i love yeah. that i think it's like so fun like of course i think it's meaningful the project mm. itself but i love that you did mm -hmm. it on a school bus i love that mm -hmm. you didn't like I just feel like a lot of people, uh, many, hardly anyone would have the idea. And mm -hmm. then of the people that had the idea, I think there would be people around going, you're going to do what? Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. You, and then, but with you, I don't know if that occurred or not, but yes. you did it and you decided to do it. And you're just like, nope. And I, I love that about you. Like you've said that kind of earlier. It was like, you trust your gut, you're mm -hmm. decisive and you flow with that energy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I believe manifestation yeah. occurs. Yeah super flowy with you mm -hmm. is because you're not, you're not creating this unnecessary yeah. resistance that I think yeah. so many of us tend to do. Yeah. Well, and there's always, I was just talking to Jake about this, even though like I'll make up my mind and be like, I'm doing this, even though other people are like, it's crazy. Like, what are you thinking? Are you sure? And like, I'll make up my mind, trust my intuition. But then there's always that moment right before I do it where I freak out. Oh, okay. Freak yeah. out. And 
And I know, like I was telling Jake today, like that moment, that's a good moment. Yes. Like that means I'm going in the right direction. You're like expanding. if I have that moment where I'm freaking out, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. And but it's just a matter of like going over that. Yes. And I usually do. Yes. Like I always have. With the bus, I almost like tried to back out. Really? Because I was so overwhelmed with where to begin, how to start. Um, I I kept avoiding driving it because I, I had to take a test to oh, be able yeah, to drive you have to it. Oh, yeah, have a Class C, right? Mm-hmm. Class or something like that. Something that's extra. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> and so I wouldn't drive it because I didn't know how to drive it. And I was actually like, my mom had to force me to get my license in high school. Oh, I did wow. not want to wow. learn to drive. You're she like, I'm going to New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, like I just kept avoiding it. And then, um, and I was still going to do Like I bought the bus. Right. I had the bus. I had gotten that far along. But I was just procrastinating. Oh. And then Una and our friend Josh were like, oh, no, you're doing this. So they showed up. Like, they flew in from New York to Texas. What? what? And they helped me take all the seats out. Because that was kind of oh, that yeah. thing that That's was, like, project too. keeping me from, like, I was just like, I don't know how to take the seats out. And it was just a convenient way for me to mm-hmm. be like, ah. Delaying it. Um, and they were like, no, you can't back out. So had they not come, I, I don't know how it would have turned out. I mean, I bought the bus. I had it. But I just needed that extra help and that push, like that support right. of like, no, you can actually do this. And so they helped me take the seats out and then I took them out for a joyride. And then, yeah, that was that. But the same thing, like going to Africa, I freaked out for a split second and only, I mean, just enough to where it was like, I realized I was freaking out and I needed to do it. But there's always that hesitation. Yeah, I felt that mm-hmm. in decisions I made too, because mm-hmm. I, I, like, you know, that I went to, I... Went to Guatemala, like, mm-hmm. the first time I went was, like, a shorter trip, yeah. so it wasn't as big a deal. But yeah. then the next time I went was, like, for a commitment for a much longer time. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of the lead up to it of, uh, yeah. I'm doing this? Yeah. Like, I just probably already had planned it, right? Yeah. It's just more like getting closer to that yeah. time of actually doing it. Yeah. I was like, yes, I'm doing it. And then yeah. I look back and I was like, oh, my God, I would, I would, that had to occur. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't imagine my life having yep. not done that, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, yeah. So, I, I love how you interact on social media as well. You're so good. And I think that has to do with just being belonging to yourself, mm-hmm. being at home in yourself. And so I feel your energy in it. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is amazing. All of you need to find her on social media. She's at the in-between TX, TX, yeah. TX on Instagram, mm-hmm. Facebook, all the socials. And if you're in Texas or want to have or want a reason to come here and explore the hill country, definitely check out the in-between and have a stay there have go enjoy the frio river and garner state park and everything else that's around but leah thank you so much for coming on the podcast i'm so happy that we got to have this conversation learn about your fascinating stories but also the heart behind it right and the intuition behind it and the the faith behind it and all and learning the lessons and being on that journey of seeing your lessons and and you're only 32 so i mean the and things happen so fast. We'll have to do this podcast probably in another year or two, and there will be so many more stories. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. I have been blessed to be here. So Aww. thank you. The music on the podcast is a song I fell in love with called We Are the Love We Give by Imaginary Future. It's available everywhere music is sold.